The following audio is from Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas. Our mission, to love God, love others, and make disciples. For more information about fellowship, visit fellowshiptx.org. So this morning we're going to be in John chapter 12, verse 1, if you want to turn your Bible there. John chapter 12, verse 1. I do want to mention something. So we... uh, We've been trying several different things for, to get information out to you, like what events we have, and there's just so much going on, it's hard to keep up with it. I know some of you are like, what's going on with this event? Where is this going? So uh, we, we met this week and kind of talked about that, and our plan is to make everything on the website. So that's one place you can go. And so I know some of you right now are like, I don't website. I don't do that. And, and that's okay. We have a kiosk in the foyer now uh, for you. And uh, Brandon Hill will be back there. He can help you register for any events that are coming up and all that good stuff. So if you're not technologically savvy, you can, on your way out, there's an iPad back there. Uh, and uh, Brandon Hill will walk you through what that looks like. All right. So uh, for the rest of us that are technologically savvy, Uh, Check the website, and we'll uh, keep all of our events on there. So you can go check and see what's going on. All the details about Passion Week are already already there, uh, about the the, the flyer passing out stuff that we got going in times and all that good stuff. All that's on the website, so go check that out. All right, John chapter 12, verse 1. So uh, I grew up here at Fellowship, as many of you know. Uh, started coming here in first grade. And as many of you who are like old school fellowship people, you know that fellowship used to be very uh, like fundamental, uh, Bible-believing, traditional church, right? Like a long time ago, fellowship was very uh, what, what some people now would, would call old school, right? Very traditional church. Um, and so growing up in that atmosphere, I can remember very clearly going to Hot Hearts one year and... Uh, and, and back then, most churches in this area were that way. And so we go to Hot Hearts. And if you've ever been to Hot Hearts, it's this, uh, it's kind of like this student worship conference thing. You go, they'll have really good worship, they have a really good speaker, and they'll bring in some kind of Christian artist to have a concert afterwards. So it's all very student-driven and designed for them, okay? So we're talking like late 90s, early 2000s, okay? Uh, so I'm, I'm at this conference growing up in a very uh, independent, traditional church, and uh, we're all kind of sitting there listening to the music, singing, kind of like many of us were doing this morning, just singing very calmly and peacefully, and I look over, and some dude is like this, right, and that was foreign to me, right, like raising your hands, I was, it was so foreign to me, I was like, this dude's really passionate about his question, Somebody needs to call on this guy and see what it is. He's got something to say. I don't know what it is, but he's raised his hand for like 20 minutes now. Someone needs to check on this guy. And, and it, was, it was really odd for me to see someone worshiping with that kind of passion, right? To, it was almost like he was in, this, in a total different place, right? He was unconcerned about what everyone else was thinking. Um, he was in this space where his focus was fully on Jesus, Fully on Jesus. And isn't that what worship is supposed to be about? Right? Isn't it supposed to be unhindered by public perception and circumstance? Right? Our worship shouldn't be focused on how we feel that day. It should be focused on what other people think about us. Our worship should be solely focused on the object of our worship, who is Christ. And this is the same idea. This same idea, it applies to all forms of worship, not just singing. Right? We know worship is much bigger than our singing. So what is worship? Romans 12, 1, Paul tells us, he says, Therefore I urge you, 
by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So what kind of picture is Paul painting here? He, you know, we know that in uh, traditional Jewish cultures, there would have been animal sacrifices, right? You lay the animal on the altar, you sacrifice it, and the scripture talks about this aroma that uh, makes its way to heaven, and it's this pleasing aroma before the Lord, right? And so that's what sacrifices were. And so literally what Paul is saying here is that we should lay down our lives as a death sacrifice that is pleasing to God because that is worship. That our lives don't matter. We go to God and say, this is yours. My life is yours. I'm laying all of my desires, all of what I want on this altar before you so it can be a pleasing sacrifice to you. That is what worship is. Worship is not, God, you can be a part of my life. Right? We, we think of our faith like that sometimes. Like, God, you can enter into this relationship that I have. Let me introduce you to this part. This is this part I call my kids. They're a little annoying sometimes, but they're special. This part I call my spouse. This part I call my job. This part, and, and all of you meet Jesus. He's a new part of our life. We're going to allow him into this, this circle. That's not how this whole thing works. That's not, that's not how worship works. You don't invite God to be a part of your life. Worship is, God, here is my life. It is yours. It is yours. Do with it as you please. It's giving God complete control. That's what worship is, sacrificing yourself on the altar for God. So in our text this morning, we get a beautiful picture of what this looks like practically. We get a beautiful picture of what this looks like practically. Let's take a look at John chapter 12, starting in verse 1. It says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was. Now, this is the same Lazarus, uh, Lazarus that uh, Julian preached about last week. This is after Je- Lazarus has died and been, and, and been raised again. It says, The one Jesus had raised from the dead, to clarify. So they gave a dinner for him there, which I think is interesting. It's like, man, Jesus, thanks for bringing this dude back to life. You want to come over and eat? Right? Like, that's what we do, right? Uh, it says, uh, so they, they gave a dinner for him there. Martha was serving them, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. So, again, this is a really cool picture that Lazarus has been brought back from the dead, and he's sitting here at the table with Jesus eating with him, right? It's unbelievable. Then Mary took a pound of perfume, man, that's a lot of perfume, uh, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. So the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him, again, just to clarify, said, why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the to the poor? So... This is like one of the original Jesus jukes, right? Why don't she's just wasting all this perfume? Why don't we sell it and give it to the poor, right? He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of what was put in it. Jesus answered, Leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. So here's this interesting story, right? This is Jesus. Uh, right before he goes back into Jerusalem and there's Palm Sunday and all that, this is the encounter we get in John where he raises Lazarus from the dead and then we see he comes and has a meal with Lazarus and his family and Mary is so just focused on Christ. 
that she comes in and kind of makes this spectacle of herself where she gets this expensive perfume, pours it on Jesus' feet. Other texts talk about the fact that she pours it on his head as well and just showers him with, with, with this expensive perfume and oil. And, and, and then she starts to wipe his feet with her hair. Right? This is just unbelievable story. And, and it, her focus is completely on Jesus. And so two points this morning is all we have. Two points. And I know we say that, and sometimes it make, we're, we're like trying to make you feel better about how long this is going to be. It's two points, but it's going to be as long as if I had ten points. So just prepare yourself, okay? Um, two points this morning. Number one, real worship is not calculated. Real worship is not calculated. Look at verse 3. Mary took a pound of perfume, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. So the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Then we know Judas calls her out, and, uh, and then Jesus calls Judas out, right? So this is a hard truth for me because I am a calculated person. I, uh, I like to figure out numbers in my head of, of anything that we're talking about. If we're talking about money, if we're talking about people coming, I'm constantly figuring out numbers and, and doing math in my head so that I can make sure that we're prepared for whatever could possibly take place. That's just how my mind works. Um, Becca is wanting to go to Arlington this week to go uh, kind of connect with the Mission Arlington team and take the other kids. We'll go do some fun stuff in Arlington. And as soon as she said, hey, let's go to Arlington, that would be fun. I immediately start thinking, okay, so that's about $100, maybe $110 a night for a room. If we go out to eat every meal, that's probably about $50 per meal. We have a lot of kids. Um, um, if we drive that far, it's about 700 miles round trip. All right, so I need about uh, a thousand bucks maybe. And so me, that's how my head works. She's talking still about what all we're going to do there, and I'm calculating in my head. All right, so it's another 100 bucks if we go do the zoo. Okay, all right, all right. That's, that's just how my mind works. I'm, very, I'm a very calculated person. But Mary wasn't, her, her worship wasn't like that. Right? She's not calculating anything. She's just focused fully on Jesus, right? She's focused on the object of her worship. She, she didn't care what other people thought. Her worship was born of a true heart, right? When worship is born of a true heart, it's not calculated. When our worship is born for a heart and a love for Jesus, it's not like we're pulling out the calculator saying, how much is this going to cost me? Right? We're willing to give everything because our focus is on Christ and who he is and what he has done. We see an awesome example of this in 2 Samuel. Uh, King David, he has overseen the return of the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. And he is pumped about it. He's so excited. And as the ark starts making its way back into Jerusalem, he can't contain his joy. And he starts, like, stripping his kingly attire off and, and, and is in this, like, normal, plain, everyday person outfit. And he starts dancing. Right? He starts dancing out in the streets and making a fool of himself. Right? He, he makes a spectacle of himself. And I love... His wife is out watching from the window, and she's just shaking her head like, no, right? I can relate, right? She's, she is disgusted with his behavior, <laughs> and, and she tells him so. She calls him out on it. It's like, you made a fool of yourself. You looked like an idiot, and you should have done that, right? And his response is awesome. He's not phased at all, and he responds with this, these words in uh, 2 Samuel 6, verse 21. 
It says, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from this house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord and I will become even more undignified than this. That's what David tells her. You can talk all you want. I don't care. I don't care what people think. My heart and my mind is focused on my God and what he has done, and I'm going to celebrate and I'm going to worship, and even if I look like a total idiot to the rest of the world, I do not care because my worship is not calculated. We get this concept. You ever been to Buffalo Wild Wings during the middle of a football game or the NBA Finals? People you don't even know just acting like total idiots in there. Someone scores a touchdown or a, uh, a goal or whatever, they're like, Bruh! and they jump up and down, throwing stuff around in there. I went and watched the NBA Finals whenever uh, Kobe Bryant, it was just kind of his last little hoorah. Uh, it wasn't even the finals. It was just his last game. People made themselves like, like total idiots in that thing. And they were like throwing stuff around. I was like, is the manager going to come and shut this down? I mean, people are going crazy, right? But I get it because when the Cowboys were playing, and they weren't even like playing like a real game, Julian's over at the house, and, and we both are like jumping up and down and like chest bumping each other like a bunch of idiots. I even get this because the other night I'm having a dream. And in my dream, the Cowboys are in the Super Bowl. I get it, it's just a dream. <laughs> it's a 20-year-long dream, I get it. You can keep all your jokes to yourself, you jerks. But I'm having this dream. This is a real dream. And, and, and I'm at like Buffalo Wild Wings or somewhere for some reason. I don't even go there that often. And the Cowboys win. They, they score the, the final touchdown and win the game. And in my dream, I'm like jumping up and down, chest bumping strangers that I don't even know. There's just like people, strangers in my dream. And, and I'm just freaking out, going crazy. And, and apparently in my sleep, I'm like, <laughs> Becca wakes me up. She's like, are you Okay. And I just start laughing because I know exactly what I was just dreaming about. And I was like, I'm, we're not going to talk about this right now. <laughs> uh, but we get it, right? We make a fool of ourselves when we are passionate about something. Mary was so focused on Jesus that she disregarded everything that would have inhibited her worship. She, she disregarded everything that would have inhibited her worship. She, one, she disregarded normative social behavior. There's a lot of things going on in this text. It's not really appropriate for a woman to interject to make a spectacle of herself like this. Um, she would have been considered emotional and erratic, and people would have judged her for that behavior. But she doesn't care. She doesn't care about uh, normative social behavior because her focus is, is Jesus. Uh, washing feet was the job of a servant. So again, not normal for someone to go in and do this kind of work unless they were a servant. But she doesn't care about that. She doesn't care what people think about her. She doesn't care what other people are going to say when, when she leaves the room because Jesus was worth the spectacle. Jesus was worth the spectacle. He was worth the public scrutiny. Mary didn't care what it looked like. She was genuine in her worship. She was genuine in her worship. Not only did she disregard normative social behavior, but she disregarded normative financial behavior as well. A, a ton of this perfume, uh, uh, it's, it's a pound of perfume. This is a lot of, of perfume, right? And, and it's very, very expensive. Uh, this is basically a year's salary that, that she pours out on Jesus' feet and head. Right? This is a huge financial sacrifice. 
And, and Judas calls her out on it like, this is a year's worth of salary. We could give this to the poor. There's so many things that we could do with this money. And you're just going to pour it on Jesus' feet? You just wasted that. But she doesn't care because her focus is on Jesus, not on all the other stuff. Right? Jesus was worth it to her. She wasn't thinking about what else she could do with the money. She was thinking about Jesus. And her worship was sincere. As many of you know, this week uh, we had our Arlington team leave yesterday. And on Monday we found out from Enterprise, you don't have a van. And that is a little bit overwhelming. Especially for someone like Cameron who this is his first like real ministry job ever. And he's not really had to deal with stuff like that before. And I think he, he was trying to play it cool, but I think he was a little overwhelmed. Um, and he... Uh, he come to me, he's like, man, I don't, I don't know what to do. And I was like, well, we'll figure it out. I mean, it, it, it always works out. We'll figure it out. So we call around all these places, and people were very nice. They'd be like, I got a friend at this place you should call, and I got you know, try these, these people, try this place. And so we're calling all these places, and nobody has a van. Apparently, if you want to enter the 15-passenger van business, there is a lot of business right now. You could make a killing. So go buy your fleet of them and start running it out. It's a business opportunity, just a friendly little reminder there for you. So, uh, but we can't find a van anywhere. It's getting late in the week. And so we kind of just decided, you know, if we can't figure something out, then uh, you, you can take our van. We have a minivan and Julian has an expedition. And so they were going to take those two and split the teams up and go that way instead of trying to put them all in one vehicle. Uh, and then we would just wouldn't have a vehicle for the week. Um, and so we, that was kind of the, the back, you know, the, the backup plan. Well, Thursday, my brother calls me. He's like, why don't we just buy a van? I was like, why don't you just give me $30,000 and we'll go buy one right now? He's like, he's like, well, what if we can raise the money? I was like, Stephen, it's Thursday. They leave Saturday. How are we going to raise the money and buy a van in one day? I'm the one that has all the faith in the family. He's, he's the one that struggles. But he said, uh, he said, well, if I can raise the money, can, can you figure it out? And I was like, you raise the money, that's a God thing, we'll figure it out. And, uh, and so he starts sending out text messages and phone calls, and uh, within like 45 minutes, we raised $20,000. And by the end of the afternoon, before I left for work that day, we had raised over $30,000. Yeah. And so I was able to call this dealership in Houston, and we got us a van, went Friday, picked it up, got it, and so they, they, were, take, they were able to take that van with them, and it's a, something now that we get to keep for future events, and we don't have to deal with Enterprise anymore. And so uh, all that to say that there were a f- handful of people that gave a lot of money to make that happen, and, and their, their giving was all about worship. Right? They weren't calculating the cost. It was like, I, I have some extra, I'll give it. Right? And, and it was a beautiful picture of people getting this, this idea of giving to go. Right? It was literally giving so that people can go. And it was this, this awesome picture of, of, of what we're called to do. And, and that's what Mary does here. Right? If, if anybody, you know, if, you, if she called her financial advisor and was like, look, I have this huge asset of, a, of, a, of ointment that's it's worth a year's salary. I'm thinking about just pouring it on Jesus' feet. What do you think? Good investment? Right? Her financial advisor would be like, no, please don't do that. Please wait till I get to your house 
We're going to call the doctor and figure out what's going on, right? Nobody would recommend that. It's a poor financial decision. Mary doesn't care. Right? She doesn't care. She'd been saving it to use for Jesus, right? It was all about Jesus. Her focus was on Christ and on Christ alone. And all the other stuff that she could do with that, that very expensive ointment was, was, was meant nothing to her. All that mattered to her was Christ and worshiping him. Real worship is not calculated. Real worship doesn't consider what others might think, nor does it hesitate at what it might cost. Real worship is, is, is not calculated. It's, it's not focused on all the details. And then the second point this morning is this. Real worship is all about Jesus. Real worship is all about Jesus. Look at verse 7. Jesus answers Judas. He says, leave her alone. She's kept it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. I grew up in the peak of Christian culture, right? Late 90s, early 2000s was like when being a Christian was the coolest thing in the world, right? We had bands like DC Talk that were on mainstream radio, and everybody was wearing the bracelets and the t-shirts and all this, you know, all this stuff uh, was was a big deal, right? And I loved it. I loved growing up in that world. I, I loved the Christian concerts. I loved my youth group. I loved all the events that we did, all the stupid pizza things that we did, and uh, going to the bowling all night long. I mean, all of it. I loved all of it. I, I loved summer camp. I, I loved and still do love church work. I love Sundays and Wednesdays. I love going door to door and passing out flyers on Saturdays. I, I love all of this. I'm, I'm all about church world. I love it. But here's the problem. I can be all about that stuff and still not be about Jesus. I can do all the stuff. I can be at all the stuff and still not be about Jesus. You can do all the church stuff and still miss it completely. Look at Judas. He's the perfect example of that, right? He was at all the stuff. He was there when Jesus performed miracles. He was there when Jesus sent the disciples out two by two. He saw the works of Christ he was one of Jesus' boys, but he still missed it. He was focused on himself and how he could use Jesus for his own benefit. Real worship is all about Jesus. This is a weird text, and it seems a little contradictory, because doesn't Jesus tell us to feed and clothe the poor? Isn't that like one of the markings of a true Christian, right? Matthew 25, 35, he says, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Wouldn't we think that feeding the poor is exactly what we're supposed to do? Wouldn't we think that's the epitome of Christianity. Wouldn't we, haven't we been talking about being goers? Haven't we been talking about loving others? Isn't that what this is all about, right? Shouldn't she have sold that and gave it to the poor? Because that's what Christianity is all about. None of that matters if it's not for Jesus. None of that matters if it's not for Jesus. Going and loving the poor and doing all the stuff doesn't matter if it's not for Jesus. And listen, you could do all that stuff and it not be about Jesus, right? How many pastors do we know that use their, their, their position to, to, to control people and to take advantage of people? 
You can do all the stuff and look like you have it all figured out on the outside and not be about Jesus. But real worship is all about Jesus. Look at 1 Samuel 15, 22. Samuel replies, he says, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. God isn't interested in heartless rituals. He's just not. If you attend church because it's the thing that you think you're supposed to do, God's not interested in that. If you sing because it's the singing time in church, God's not interested in that. If you give because that's the Christian thing to do, God's not interested in that. He wants your heart. He wants to be the object of your affections. He wants you to walk in obedience because you genuinely love and trust him. This is real worship. It's not as much about the what as it is about the why. Because if you get the why, the what takes care of itself. Right? If you genuinely love God, that's the why. Then the what takes care of itself. That's what God's concerned about. Piper's gotten to this little stage where she likes to draw me pictures. And uh, the other day, I was cooking, sort of. I was putting the ingredients into a pan that the box told me to put in. And uh, Becca wasn't there. And uh, Piper, every couple of minutes, she's got these little kind of post-it note little things that are like hearts and stuff. And she'd get this little art thing that she got for Christmas. Like every couple of minutes, she'd sneak up next to me while I was cooking and put one of those little pieces of paper on the counter next to where I was cooking. And it would say, I love daddy, or daddy is the best. Eat that. Uh, (laughs) Daddy is the best. And just little, little love notes like that. And, uh, so sweet. And she, she does it sometimes. She'll come up here and draw a picture while she's waiting when we do something, and then she'll leave it on my desk. And it's like a little I love you, daddy kind of thing. And uh, she does that. You know, I never asked her to draw me pictures. I never went to her and Piper, I have self esteem issues. Will you please draw me pictures and say that you love me because it would make me feel better? I never had to do that to her, right? She just does it because she loves me. Or maybe she does it because she knows she'll get whatever she wants if she does it. Her works are the result of her love for her daddy. Right? Nobody ever asked her to do that. She does it because she loves her daddy. Mary's worship was the result of her love for Jesus. Man, it's so evident in the text. You just can see that Mary is just totally focused on Christ in this moment because she genuinely loves Christ. She genuinely loves Jesus. She genuinely recognizes who Jesus is and what he's done. And she loves him because of it. Real worship is all about Jesus. So the question this morning is this. Is your worship all about Jesus.
Is he the object of your affections? Because again, for those of us who have done church world a long time, it becomes very easy for this to turn into more just being about church and what we think we're supposed to do because God wants us to do it. But if it's not because we love Jesus, then we've got it all wrong. Is Jesus the object of your affections? Psalm 86.11, David writes this prayer. In verse 11 and 12 is the point that I want to focus on. He says, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Here's the part that I want us to focus in on. He says, give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. Here's the truth this morning is that many of us in this culture today have divided hearts. Right? We love God, but we also love our comfort zone. We love God, but, but we, also, we also love success. We love God, but we also love our families. And so our hearts, while Jesus should be the sole focus of our affections, we pour our affections out on all these other things. And Jesus becomes a part of our life and not the sole focus of our life. Do you see the difference this morning? Do you see there's a difference in adding Jesus into your life and Jesus being the foundation of your life? There's a huge difference there. Jesus isn't interested in being a part of your life. He wants to be the object of your affections. He wants to be the sole focus of your heart. So the question is, is he the sole focus of your heart? Worship must be about Jesus or it's just ritual. Is Jesus the object of your affections? If not, what's the answer? Repent. Repent and ask God to change your heart. That's the beauty of this relationship with God is he has the power to change your heart. Look what David says. He doesn't say, God, I'm going to change this divided heart. He says, God, give me an undivided heart. Right? This whole faith thing is all about surrender. So when we come to Christ with a broken heart, mourning our sin, we say, God, please change me. That's what happens. That's how this whole thing works. So this morning, I think if we're honest, many of us have divided hearts. It's evident in how we live our lives. We want the American dream, but we also want heaven and a relationship with God. You can't focus on both. Scripture says you'll love one and despise the other. So the answer this morning is to do like David did and say, God, give me an undivided heart. Ask God to change your heart. And listen, this is a daily struggle. You may get it today and blow it tomorrow. Every day, God, give me an undivided heart. Would you stand with your head bowed and your eyes closed?
The message of the gospel is an easy message. Right? You're a sinner. Admit your sin. Mourn your sin. Repent of your sin. Believe that Jesus died and rose again and that he is who he says he is. That message is easy. But it's hard to surrender to it. That's the hard part. It's hard to let go of all of those other things that, that, that hold our affections. Let go of those and give our affections fully to Jesus and give our faith and trust fully to Jesus. That's a hard, hard thing to do. But that is the gospel. Without that, we have nothing. Without full surrender, we don't have a relationship with Jesus. And so this morning, if, if you have never fully surrendered your life to Christ, then don't let public perception keep you from doing that. Right? Many of us, you've grown up in church and the idea of walking down and surrendering your life to Jesus is terrifying because you think, man, people think that I've been saved my whole life. What are they going to think if they find out this was all a facade? Real worship doesn't care about that. It's not calculated. So this morning, if you've never truly surrendered your life to Christ, then, man, I would challenge you to make that decision this morning. Regardless of what people might think. Regardless of what it might cost you. Surrender your life to Christ. Because He is worthy. He is worthy. And for the Christians in the, in, in the room this morning, those of you who have already surrendered your life to Christ, don't get comfortable. Don't let yourself get comfortable and start to rest and, man, I've got this all figured out. As soon as you get to that point, that's when it all goes downhill. This is a daily battle. Be aware of the fact that there are always things vying for your affections. The old hymn says that we are prone to wander. And it's true, we are prone to wander. So Christian, this morning, understand have the propensity to wander and that this is a daily decision to surrender our affections to Christ we're going to have a moment where you can come down front spend some time at these altars surrendering to Christ in whatever way that he's leading you there's be some people standing down here in front would love to have a conversation with you about what it means to truly surrender your life to Christ and talk to you about any decision that you want to make. That's what they're there for. As the band sings, I want to challenge you to surrender. Thank you so much for listening, and we always welcome you to join us at Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas, where we gather, grow, and